Good morning. Well, we know that at least all of you survived the storm. We didn't have too much except uh, just a tree fall across our road. We're on a dead-end street, so it made it a little difficult. We had to cut the tree up and move it out of the way to be able to get off our street. But other than that, a lot of leaves and a lot of mess. But um, anyway, praise the Lord. And uh, I think that uh, as we consider what's happened in Florida and um, some of these other areas, we're very fortunate with what took place here. And so uh, we need to continue to pray for all those uh, that are ministering to the people of Florida and the devastation that is there that will go on for a long time. And uh, the prayers of God's people and the, the ones that God is going to send out to come alongside and to help in that uh, recovery effort and re restoration uh, that we would pray for them. And so let's do that this morning. Father, we do lift up, Lord, all those, uh, Lord, that have been affected, Lord, greatly, and even some lives that have been lost, Lord, in this uh, hurricane. And Lord, we know that these things transpire in our world. Uh, Lord, it's not something new. But Lord, we're, we're called to pray for those that are hurting. And uh, Father, especially for those that, uh, that don't know you. And Lord, that maybe their eyes during this time might be turned to you. And Lord, we know that you always have your people, uh, those who know you. Lord, that come into these situations, Lord, that become uh, vessels, Lord, that you can use to minister the, the hope of the gospel uh, to many. And Lord, I pray for the churches that are there in Florida and even ones that will travel to Florida, that you would use them, uh, Lord, in a powerful way to touch lives. And uh, Lord, that you would use us as we intercede and we pray, even if we're not going, that we would pray and be diligent in our prayers uh, for them. And Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you are enjoying Revelation? All right, I think all of you. Amen. The book of Revelation, things to come. And as Christians, this should be uh, at the forefront of our mind every single day, that the Lord is coming back and we need to prepare ourselves and be prepared in our hearts for that day when we're going to stand before the Lord. That's why we're in the book of Revelation right now, reminding us of the things to come. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 10, not today, but next week. But what I, we're going to look at today uh, is really a number of passages. I actually titled today's message, A New Kingdom is Coming. We, uh, if you could, look in your Bibles at Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verses 10 to 13. We, uh, a Psalm of David, and it, and it reads... All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. We know that in the creation of the heavens and the earth, God created it all and God owns it all and still owns and controls this world. The kings of this earth are controlled by the Lord. The nations of this earth are controlled by the Lord. But we also know, and we read about last week, about Satan 
being cast down to earth. We know that one-third of the angels who became demons, they left their habitation, they followed after Satan, and they too were cast out of heaven. At that time and at the fall, really, uh, of mankind, the kingdoms of this earth became the kingdoms of Satan. Remember in uh, Matthew's gospel, if you turn there, and we're going to be flipping around, so be quick on your Bible. If you don't know where the, some of the books of the Bible are, keep your finger in the index and then look at the page number and get to it. It's best for you to follow along and to look at what God's word says. In Matthew chapter 4, remember when Jesus at his baptism, that after his baptism he was... Uh, by the Holy Spirit, taken out into the wilderness. And when he was out in the wilderness for those 40 days, we know that Satan came to him on a number of occasions to tempt the Lord. On one of those temptations in the wilderness, we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, it says that Jesus said to him, is it not written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, speaking to Satan? And then we read in verse 8, and again, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain. Get this picture. He takes him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to Satan, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Can you imagine that? Satan saying to Jesus, I will give you, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms which Jesus Christ had created himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Here's Satan offering back the kingdoms of, of this world to the Lord. We know that the kingdoms of this world who are really being really moved and, and, and governed by the God of this world, Satan, is going to be a kingdom that's going to have an end. You see, Jesus wasn't concerned with the kingdoms of this earth right then. He is going to bring about a new kingdom, a new kingdom that's coming a kingdom that you and I, as children of God, are one day going to reign in that coming kingdom here on earth. That thousand year millennial reign of Christ, which is going to go on forever. It's everlasting. To really be able to grasp the book of Revelation... And this is what I wanted to spend a little bit of time before. We might call this the prelude to chapter 10 of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is best understood when we are able to grab hold of some of the main events. And so if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to do that, I would write down on a piece of paper the main events. This will help you when you're trying to organize the book of Revelation in your, in your mind. 22 chapters make up the book of Revelation. In those 22 chapters, there are nine main events that we can see. Now we know that we've already looked at these chapters. The first main event, we might say, would be chapter 1 to chapter 3. We know that John had that vision of the glorified Christ in chapter 1. But we know that there was also in chapter 2 and chapter 3, those two chapters, 
the seven letters to the seven churches. We call this those that are pre-trib and believe in a futurist view of the book of Revelation. We call this time of chapter 2 and 3 the church age. We talked about dispensations. We talked about periods of time. And we are in the dispensation of time, this period of time in all of church history and all of God's creation of history. We're in this time that is called the church age or the age of grace. And so chapter two and three is the seven letters to the seven churches. That's what we might call the first main event. In chapter four, In chapter 5, we have the rapture of the church. Chapter 4, verse 1, I believe is the rapture of the church. But we also see in chapter 4, the throne room that John sees in heaven. We also see in chapter 5, the seals, or the sealed scroll. And the one who is sitting on the throne and holding that scroll And we know that Jesus Christ was the one who was worthy or who will be worthy to open the scroll. And so we have in chapter 4 and 5 the next main event. The rapture of the church and we might call it the throne room in heaven. In chapter 6 we had the first six of the seven seal judgments. How many sets of judgments are there throughout the 22 chapters of Revelation? There are three sets of judgments that are going to come upon this earth. The first set of judgments, which is the seven seal judgments, we find in chapter 6. The first six of those seven judgments are opened in that chapter. When we get to chapter 7, I shared with you that there are three sections throughout the book of Revelation that are called parenthetical chapters by those that put words to these sections. Uh, We might call it an intermission time uh, that is inserted between these chapters. And so chapter 6, we might say, is the third main event. It's the opening of six of the seven seal judgments. And then we came to chapter seven, this intermission where we read and learned about the 144,000 that were being sealed. Remember, these intermissions are a time to insert some more information into the narrative of what's going on. It's kind of like a break for a moment. And now we're talking about the 144,000. We're also seeing that John saw the vision of that multitude of people who get saved, those who get martyred during the tribulation period, that get saved, that are now in heaven with palm branches in their hand, with white linen upon them. In chapter 8 and 9, and we looked at that over the last couple of Sundays, The fourth main event that we see in in Revelation is now the opening of uh, the seventh seal. The seventh seal did not get opened until the eighth chapter. And the seventh seal is what ushers in that next set of seven judgments called the trumpet judgments. So remember that there were four of those trumpets that sounded. And then John saw and the angel said that there were three woes. The angel that flew through the midst of the heaven. Woe, woe, woe. And the three woes or the three final trumpet judgments that were going to come upon this earth are found again in uh, this chapter, this, these eight, eighth and ninth chapter. We're not going to see the seventh trumpet blown until we get to chapter 11, verse 15. And I'll share a little bit about that uh, this morning. But in chapters, uh, so chapter 8 and chapter 9, 
remember we opened up uh, six of those seven trumpets. We uh, talked about, about those and the demonic uh, locust, the demonic uh, invasion that was going to come upon uh, this world during that time. In chapter 10 to chapter 11, uh, verse 14, it's another intermission. This is another uh, parenthetical section in the book of Revelation. And where we're at right now, and we'll get into chapter 10 next week, is we're in the, about the middle of the tribulation period. How many years make up the tribulation period? Raise your fingers. Seven. You got it right. Seven years. Three and a half years comes to the middle of the tribulation period. The second half of the tribulation period will follow chapter 10 of Revelation. When we get to, as I've said, chapter 11, verse 15, we're going to see that the seventh trumpet is going to be blown. That's the third woe that we read about in, uh, in chapter 9. We're going to see the seventh trumpet blown. This is going to be the third woe that is going to come upon this earth. That seventh trumpet is believed to be really the unfolding of what I want to talk about today. About the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdom of God. And it's an important part for us to understand. We we'll see that in chapter 12 to chapter 15 that there's going to be another intermission. That's the third intermission throughout these 22 chapters. Chapter 12 to chapter 15 is going to talk about the uh, revived Roman Empire that is going to happen during the tribulation period. We'll talk about that this morning. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be... Uh, come uh, very evident by the middle of the tribulation period, very evident to what their deception is. And they're going to deceive, and it's going to become known to the nation of Israel the deception that the Antichrist is bringing upon them and upon really this whole world. There's going to be, by chapter 13 of Revelation, there's going to be a one-world government. There's going to be a one-world monetary system that is going to be happening in this world. And there's going to be a one-world religion that is going to be headed up, all three of these things, by the Antichrist and the false prophet. We'll read about that when we get to that section um, of chapter 12 to chapter 15 of Revelation. And... Chapter uh, 16, we're going to see the seven vile judgments. The seven vile judgments are the worst of the three sets of judgments that are going to come upon this earth. They're called the bold judgments or the vile judgments. That would, we might say is the sixth uh, main event through the book of Revelation, is the vile judgments that are going to happen quickly and they're going to come quickly towards the end in the second half of the tribulation. And then in chapter 17 to 19, this is the next event, the seventh event, there's going to be the rise and the fall of what is called Mystery Babylon. And it's also in chapter 19, the second coming of Jesus Christ. In chapter 20, we're going to see this restored earth and this millennial reign of Christ, that kingdom that we're going to talk about even this morning, that is going to be seen in Revelation chapter 20. We're also going to see in that chapter the great white throne judgment which is going to be for unbelievers only, when they will stand before God, those who have rejected Christ. 
And then lastly, the ninth event in chapters 21 and chapter 22, the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth. Nine events. If you could get those nine events fixed in your mind out of the 22 chapters, you'll be able to piece together the book of Revelation a lot more easy. And that's why I'd suggest if you didn't write them down, listen to the message, go back and review those, uh, those chapters so that you can fix in your mind more of the timeline of events that will happen in these seven years. Remember that the seven-year tribulation period, that it begins with a covenant that is made by the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel for one week. One week, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, is a period of what? One week is seven years, a seven-year tribulation period. So the Antichrist, the white horse, the horse of deception, when he comes on the scene, he's going to come in with deception and the nation of Israel and many of the Jews are going to think our Messiah has come. There is going to be deception that is going to come upon many uh, Jews in this world when the Antichrist comes on the scene. He's going to make a pact. He's going to make a covenant, we might say, with many, we're told, in Daniel 9.27, it says, Then he, speaking of the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's our seven-year tribulation period. But in the middle of the week, it says, also in Daniel 9.27, in the middle of the week, the Antichrist is going to bring an end to the sacrifice. Remember that... It's very possible that through this covenant of the Antichrist, through this peace treaty, through whatever he brings out as being acceptable for the Jews, that it somehow, I believe, is going to be a way in which Israel, the nation of Israel, will be able to rebuild that third tribulation temple during the tribulation period. They're going to go back to their old form of sacrificing. They're going to believe that the Antichrist is their Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, the one who will allow us to rebuild our temple. But it'll be in the middle of that tribulation period that the Antichrist is going to change his tune. He's going to break that covenant with the nation of Israel. He's going to set up his image within that third temple that will literally be built there in Jerusalem in the place where the temple once stood, he'll rebuild that temple, or the Jews will rebuild it, but he will then put his image within side of that temple, and he will demand that he be worshipped as God. We know from Matthew chapter 24 that the Jews are going to flee into the area of Basra, or the area called Petra, and they are going to flee for their life because it will be at that point that the Antichrist and his armies are going to seek to destroy every Jew that they can get hold of. And they're going to flee. That will happen in the middle of the tribulation period. It's the point at which we're at right now, coming up to Revelation chapter 10. So with that, I want you to turn, if you could, to the book of Daniel in uh, Daniel chapter 2. I want to read to you something of the kingdoms of this world so that you have an understanding when we get to uh, this next section in the book of Revelation when we're talking about mystery Babylon and we're talking about Babylon being destroyed. We need to understand that there is going to come a kingdom, a revived kingdom during the tribulation period that is significant for us to know. And the only way that we're going to know that is to look at this prophecy that was given to Daniel in chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar, 
who was the uh, ruling uh, king at the time of the Babylonian Empire, Empire, he had a dream. And within in this dream, he saw this image. And this image that he saw, he did not understand. But these, this image that he saw, it consisted of four Gentile nations which would rise and fall, and it would end with a Roman Empire. And Daniel, though in his uh, understanding of this, saw another power that would rise from the old Roman Empire, but this one would not be seen until the end of the age, meaning the tribulation period. We call it the revived Roman Empire. Daniel gives this interpretation of this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, verse 31. He says, you, O king, speaking of king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent, it stood before you. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his own dream that confused him and frightened him. And he wanted Daniel to give the interpretation of his dream. It, what you saw was splendid, was excellent, and it stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image, image's head was of fine gold, the Babylonian kingdom. Its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. That's the image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw, and this is going to be the interpretation that Daniel would give to him. You watched while a stone was cut out, and this is important. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay. So I want you to get the image of this huge image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw. And the feet of that, the ten toes, the feet were made of iron and clay. The, the, the legs were iron. The feet were a mixture of iron and clay. The ten toes of that image. It says, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and they became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone, again, that stone that struck the image, became a great mountain. And it filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. He says, you, O king, are a king of kings. This is Daniel speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom power and strength and glory and wherever the children of men dwell or the beast of the field and the birds of the heaven he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over all all uh, you are uh, he has given you to be ruler over all you are this head of gold and so Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar you're the head of gold. You're the Babylonian Empire. That's one major empire in this vision, the first. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to you, to yours. This is the silver part of that image, the chest that he saw. The Medo-Persian Empire would follow in history the Babylonian Empire. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze would be the Grecian Empire that would rise up after the Medo-Persian Empire, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces 
and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And so the Roman Empire, the, the fierce of all, of all these kingdoms, rose up, that fourth kingdom. It shall be strong as iron, it shall break in pieces and shatter everything in its place. The Roman Empire taking over the world, really at that time, the known world. That kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. This is the legs of iron, the Roman Empire. And then he says in verse 41, Whereas you saw the feet and the toes also, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, these are the ten toes on the image, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. This is going to be the revived Roman Empire that is yet future, that is still to come during the tribulation period. He goes on to say in verse 44, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Listen to this. In those days of these kings, the God of heaven, these ten toes, this revived Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, all these Gentile kingdoms that are going to be here, this revived Roman ten-nation confederacy of nations. It will consume all of these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. You see, this is going to be the new kingdom. This is going to be the future millennial kingdom that you and I, as born-again Christians, if you know the Lord, you're going to be in that kingdom, reigning with the Lord for the thousand years. This revived Roman Empire during the tribulation period, it's going to consist of, like the ten toes, it's going to consist of ten nations that are going to form. Now, we can look at our world today, and a lot of people do. People that study Bible prophecy start looking at the nations and how things are lining up. We saw that with Ezekiel 38 and 39, when it talks about the lining up of the nations that are going to come down upon Israel. At some point, at the beginning of the tribulation, we see even those nations beginning to line up, preparing themselves. There's going to be this ten nation, this revived Roman Empire consisting of ten nations that is going to rise up during the tribulation period. And out of these ten nations, we're told, a man will appear who we know as the Antichrist. He's going to come out of these nations, or one of these nations, who at first he's going to be allied, as I already shared with Israel, He's going to make a pact with Israel. He's going to be allied with him. He's going to be seen to be a friend to Israel. He's going to come with deception. He's going to come with a peace treaty. He's coming out of this ten-nation confederacy. He has a peace plan that is, finally, that is eventually going to be broken at the middle of the tribulation period. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. We already looked at Matthew chapter 24. But what he said in verse 3 to 5. He says, as Jesus was sitting there on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said to Jesus, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to his disciples, Take heed that no one deceives you.
For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and deceive many. He's going to come on the scene. He's going to come out of this ten-nation confederacy. He's going to come out of this revived Roman Empire. He's going to come and be deceptive to the Jews. In the second half of the tribulation period, we read in Matthew 24 again in verse 21. It says, for then there will be great tribulation. That's the point at which we're in in the book of Revelation right now. Around chapter 10. Going forward with the bold judgments, the, the vile judgments, is referred to as the great tribulation. In other words, it's going to intensify even more so under those bold judgments. He says, for there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, Jesus tells his disciples, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, and I believe he's speaking of the elect, meaning the Jews, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Remember what Jesus told his disciples when you see the desolation, abomination set up in the holy place? What were they to do? Don't go up in, in, to the rooftop. Don't go back and take your things. Flee, in other words, and that's when they're going to flee. Well, there's going to be great deception. Not only is the Antichrist and his armies going to pursue them, but he is also going to seek to deceive them, even when they're in hiding there in Petra. For false Christs, false prophets will arise and show great signs. What does the false prophet do? He comes alongside the Antichrist with signs and wonders, confirming and, and deceiving people with that. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 25, See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. In other words, don't go out of your hiding. Don't go out of your place of refuge. Or look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For where the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. At this point in Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 to 28, we're now at the end of the tribulation period. We're now at the place where Israel has already fled into Basra. We're at the point at which this campaign of battles is going to begin at the end of the tribulation and it will culminate in what we know as the battle of Armageddon. But Jesus is also going to, during that time, save a remnant of his people Israel. During that time, from that area of Basra, it's going to culminate. because, And we'll talk about this more at a later time. But it's going to be a campaign of battles that will happen quickly. But it'll be here at this location. It'll be here at the, uh, at the Temple Mount. And it'll be in the area of Jehoshaphat where that battle of Armageddon, that final battle, will be fought. In Luke's Gospel, in chapter 21, verse 24, we read, this concerning a period of time that we are currently under called the time of the Gentiles. Have you heard that term before? The time of the Gentiles. Jesus said, this is the parallel passage to Matthew 24. Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until, and this is important, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The time of the Gentiles are not going to be fulfilled until when? Until the second coming of Jesus Christ. It'll be at that point that this time of the Gentiles that was prophesied upon the nation of Israel that Gentile, when did it begin? Daniel's vision. 
when all these empires and all these Gentile empires have oppressed God's people for all of history. And that time of the Gentiles is going to come to an end at the end of the tribulation period, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, where God is going to intervene at that point. And following that seven-year tribulation period will be a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. That's the kingdom that is to come. In Revelation chapter 13, by the middle of the tribulation period, this ten-nation confederacy of nations will have already been established. It's going to be under the leadership of the Antichrist. Like I already said, there's going to be a one-world government by this time. Three and a half years, it's going to be progressing. But by the middle of chapter 13 of Revelation, that ten-nation confederacy of nations is going to be in full view. It's going to be operating. It's going to be under the leadership of the Antichrist. There's going to be a one-world government. There is going to be a one-world monetary system. And we'll talk about more about the mark of the beast and that monetary system that will be set up during the tribulation period. There's also going to be a one-world religious system under Mystery Babylon, the harlot that we're going to read about as we go further into Revelation here, a one-world religious system. Can you imagine what that will look like? Keep in mind that there are no Christians here on earth, true Christians, no born-again Christians here. This is going to be a world church under the leadership, if you want to say, under the leading of the Antichrist and the false prophet. It's going to be a one world, I'll call it a satanic religion during the tribulation period. In... Um, we're going to see in Revelation uh, chapter 18, we're going to see the fall of Babylon. Now the fall of Babylon the Great uh, is going to be a time during the tribulation when we're in heaven and we're going to see the judgments that God is bringing down upon this earth. By Revelation chapter 18, we read in verse 9, that the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her, talking about the harlot, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour, your judgment has come and God is going to bring Babylon, which I believe is going to be a resurrected Babylon, during a satanic Babylon, which Babylon has always been the picture of that throughout all of history, that there's going to be this Babylon, the revived Babylon during the tribulation period that is going to be brought to an end. All of this is to say when God brings that to an end, the kingdom of God is drawing near that future kingdom that we're talking about even this morning. What happens after the fall of Babylon, we find in Revelation chapter 19. It tells us in uh, verse 1 After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! In other words, praise the Lord. When, they, when we're in heaven and all, all the saints in heaven see these judgments coming down in Babylon being destroyed, what comes out of our mouth is hallelujah. hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. We're going to see what's happening. We're going to observe probably a, a heaven's view of what's transpiring. It, and it goes on to say, for true and righteous are, your are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth for, with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again, verse 3, they said what? 
Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. In other words, there's going to be complete destruction. Keep in mind that during this time of what we're reading here, the bull judgments, the vile judgments have already been poured out upon this world and upon Babylon and the destruction of Babylon. And we'll get to that at a later time. It goes on in verse 4. And the 24 elders. Who are the 24 elders? We've talked about that from the heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 4. I believe it's the church. The 24 elders, symbolic of the church. And the four living creatures, those angelic beings, fell down and they worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah, the third time. And then it continues. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying, What? Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? In heaven, when we're seeing the final victory of God taking from the God of this world, the, the, the kingdoms of this world, and he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. We read in Revelation, and we're drawing close, Revelation chapter 19, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, in verse 17, John says, I saw an angel standing in the sun, And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sat sit on them, and the flesh of all the people free and slay, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, And their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. This is the battle of Armageddon. And the beast was captured, we're told. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of Jesus who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. This will be the time of the Gentiles has now come to an end. That will be the the kingdoms of this world are now going to be replaced by the kingdom of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. In Revelation uh, chapter 20, we read that another angel is given this key. This is another angel, not the same angel that we read about in chapter 8, but another angel given a key, and he has a great chain, and he binds Satan, and then John sees this. He sees a new and a final kingdom emerge. This is the millennial kingdom that I've been talking about. Revelation 20 verse 4. I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. So these are martyred saints during the tribulation period who had not worshipped the beast. These are ones that survive. They didn't worship the beast or his image. They had not received the mark on their forehead or on their head. There will be those that will survive the tribulation period. Not a lot, but there will be some that will. And look what it says. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead, this is speaking about unbelievers. They did not live again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection He says, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Will you be in the first resurrection? If you die now to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. 
if you die uh, and you're put into the tomb, you're going to be, according to Thessalonians, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Those of us that are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with the Lord. That's all part of the first resurrection. If you're in that resurrection, John says, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection because what is the second resurrection? The second resurrection is going to be for the unjust. It's going to be for those who don't know Christ. Those that are going to stand before the great white throne judgment. And he says, over such the second death has no part, if you're in the first, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Next week, we're going to see in Revelation 10, the mighty angel in the little scroll or the little book your Bible might say. It's really a scroll, a little book in his hand. We'll close with this, and we're going to have communion today. In Revelation eleven fifteen, remember I shared that the seventh angel sounds his trumpet in chapter 11, verse 15. Six have already been blown. The seventh angel sounds his trumpet, and it says, And there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I believe that Revelation chapter 10, that we're going to look at um, next week, it talks about the mystery of God being revealed in this chapter. And I believe that this mystery of God is really going to speak about the kingdoms of this earth becoming the kingdoms of God. That God is going to take the kingdoms of this earth and make it the kingdom of God, that millennial kingdom. That's all going to be fulfilled when those last set of plagues, those seal, those bold judgments are poured out upon this earth. God is going to bring this thing to a quick end. That's what we read when we read those bold judgments. And so, read ahead. If you've missed messages, go back and listen to them. If you want to piece this together, listen to this message again and get those nine events down in your mind so that when you read the book of Revelation, you could just walk, check off this chapter, first event, second event, go all the way through, and you can get a general understanding and timeline of the book of Revelation. And so let's have the worship team come up. Let's have uh, whoever's serving communion to us um, this morning come up. We'll all take the cup and bread and hold it and we'll partake together. I hope that what we went through this morning helps you in understanding going forward. Because when we get into from chapter 10 to really through chapter 13, there's going to be a whole lot of things that if you don't understand what's happening here with the kingdoms and what's being accomplished, it's going to make it more difficult for you to grab hold of. Why these things? And why is it coming to an end? And why are they saying hallelujah? Why are they, you know, because ultimately, remember that the Lord, uh, Satan wanting to offer the kingdoms of this world to the Lord? Lord says, no, I'm going to wait until that day when I'm going to set up my kingdom, an everlasting kingdom here on earth. And so that's going to be a glorious day for the church, for all of us. And so uh, let's all worship the Lord. Let's set our hearts before the Lord. And during this time of communion, this is a time to say, Lord, search me. Try me. See if there be anything in me that I need to lay out before you. You don't want to partake unworthily of the Lord's table. If you don't know the Lord, then communion doesn't mean anything to you. If you know the Lord as your Lord and Savior, then this means everything to you. 
And if it means everything to you, then set your heart before the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, you can just simply right now before you partake of communion, say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you come into my heart? Would you cleanse me of my sin? Would you cause me to be born again by your Holy Spirit? Would you save me, Lord? I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'll guarantee you, based on the Word of God, He'll save you even now. And you can partake of communion, and then it's going to mean everything to you. And so let's worship the Lord, and let's set our hearts before the Lord. As the disciples, as they sat with the Lord at that, what we call the Last Supper. They're just simply sitting, having a meal, partaking of the Passover. Enjoying fellowship with one another. Just enjoying each other like they did every time. Have a meal together. Break bread together. But Jesus did something different on this night. It says, as they were eating. Kind of out of the blue. Jesus took bread. He took a piece of bread off the table and he and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said some words to them that they hadn't heard before. Take eat. This is my body. I think he took that that bread and he probably tore it in half. Tore it in pieces gave it out take eat this is my body and he also took the cup that same evening and when he had given thanks for it he gave it to them all and they all drank from it all together don't you don't you just feel the unity I wish you were all kind of just sitting elbow to elbow right in here. That's how they would have been. Reclining at a table, elbow to elbow. Because the unity that they had. These were brothers in Jesus. Sisters in Christ. Sitting together in one place. In unity together. Fellowshipping together. We know where we're going. That's what we're reading about. We know where the end of all this is going to be. And if you know Him as Lord and Savior, then you should be rejoicing this morning. You should be holding this cup and this bread going, thank you, Jesus, for your mercies are new every day. Your grace is upon me, Lord. And I look forward to that day when I drink this with you in your kingdom. Listen to what he says to them. He said to them, and this was new, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Assuredly, Jesus says, he says, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You see, he was even in this, in the Last Supper, looking ahead, future, and we still are, looking ahead to the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus told his disciples, or said to this world, really, when he came onto the scene, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We know that the kingdom of heaven was at hand because the king had come. But that king ascended up into heaven. He went back to his father. And he's coming back again. And he's going to establish his kingdom 
here on earth, that millennial reign of Christ, he's going to take back the kingdoms of this world from Satan as he's bound for that thousand years with that false prophet. And we're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. Amen? Amen. Father, we, we thank you for these really just symbols that we hold in hand. The cup and the, the bread. And we consider, Lord, what it cost you that we might have eternal life. Your precious blood. Your broken body, Lord. Your sinless, broken body. You took the wrath our wrath upon Yourself on that cross that we might not have to experience the wrath to come. And Lord, we just thank You this morning. We worship You this morning together in unity. We love You, Lord. We praise You. We honor You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake together.